right, let me invite you to take your Bible. Go to Acts chapter 2. That is where we are going to begin. Um, and if you want to stick a finger back in Luke chapter 9, we will make our way there uh, here in just a bit as we, um, as we examine what it means to be devoted to Christ. I wonder what you are devoted to. Actually, I wonder how often we stop to think about the things to which we are devoted. See, by our very nature as as human beings, we are going to be devoted to something. Um, John Calvin, a great reformer of the, uh, the church, said this. He called the human heart a perpetual forge of idols. Another way I've heard that put is it's the, the human heart is an, is an idol factory, all right? Me, meaning we will find something to worship. We will find something to which we will devote ourselves. Maybe that's a job, career. Maybe it's sports, relationships. Money could, could be simply wanting to better myself. You walk into any bookstore, it's obvious there's a whole lot of people who are devoted to bettering themselves because the largest section you'll find in any bookstore is self-help. And I'm not exactly sure why that's so important because most of the time we got ourselves into this mess, so we need to help ourselves get out of it. And you know what the definition of insanity is, Right? <laughs> doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. But, but we, we will be devoted to something. In the passage before us, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, that we're going to spend the next six weeks together, we, we're given a picture of a group of people who devoted themselves to something far more important than a job, far more important than making money, They devoted themselves to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, beginning next week, we're going to look at five things um, that that they did in in order to devote themselves to Christ. And, And in fact, in this passage, it actually says they devoted themselves to these things so that they might be devoted to Christ. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks is they devoted themselves to Scripture, to fellowship, to prayer, to worship, and to evangelism. Now, none of these things were ends in themselves. So, so when they devoted themselves to Scripture, it wasn't just so they could fill up with the knowledge of what the Word of God said. It was they devoted themselves to Scripture so that they might know Christ more clearly. But first and foremost, the thing that changed their lives was a person, Jesus Christ. Now, really quickly, let me give you the the run-up to where we arrive in Acts chapter 2, because there are some key things that that happen before we get to this point. Um, We've been walking through the Gospel of Mark, and as I said, when when we pick back up uh, with that after the first of the year, we're going to really be on a crash course with the cross. Uh, Where where we left off at the end of chapter 8, about halfway through the the gospel of Mark, 
Um, we're actually about six months away in, in the biblical narrative, six months away from the crucifixion. And so uh, we, we know, if, if you've been involved in church in any amount of time, I hope you know that Jesus was crucified and three days later he was raised from the dead. If that's new information, I really want to talk with you after church, all right? We, we, need, to, we need to nail down some, some things. Three days later, he, he rose from the dead. And then he spent 40 days with his disciples before ascending, be, being taken up into heaven before their eyes. This happens at the end of Matthew chapter 28. Um, and in Acts chapter 1, we see this as well. And, and Jesus kind of giving the, the same last words to his disciples before he's taken up. Basically, um, you're going to be my witnesses in, in Acts 1a, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So regardless of which version you look at, Matthew's or, or Luke's and Acts, uh, Jesus' last words to his disciples are a command to go and make disciples. And then he's taken up from before them. And in Acts, we're told the disciples kind of stood there staring into the sky for a minute, which seems, real, seems reasonable, right? Like, what on earth just happened? And then we're told that an angel appears to them and essentially says, why are you still standing here? Didn't he just tell you what to do? And, and well, we're not given what, what happened. I, I kind of see the disciples going, well, did, did, did you see, like, that doesn't happen. Which the angel's response is basically, that doesn't matter. You, you've been told what to do. Go. And the disciples continue to be kind of slow to learn because for the next 10 days, we, we see them kind of gathering together and, and I imagine trying to figure out what on earth they're supposed to do. How, how, okay, we've been told to make disciples of all nations. How does that work? What does that look like for us? Perhaps there's a part of them that was still scared that, that the authorities that arrested Jesus and crucified Him would be coming after them as well. And so we, we're told that all of them were together in one house and there were about 120 believers. And then at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 comes the day of Pentecost. When Jews from all over the known world would have gathered in Jerusalem for this, for this festival. And suddenly, while the believers were together, don't, don't miss this, while the believers were together, in other words, while they were at church, Chapter two, verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 2 says, Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were at church, and something that, that they really were not expecting to, to happen happened. The Holy Spirit showed up while they were at church. And they began speaking in different languages. Now, now, why this is important is because, remember, there were Jews from all over the known world who were gathered in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. 
And suddenly, people from all over the known world begin hearing the gospel proclaimed in their language from these Jews from Jerusalem. They begin asking questions, and, and word starts getting out. Hey, these folks are speaking in different languages. And the question arises, what on earth is happening? Are you drunk? To which Peter stands up and gives perhaps the most powerful sermon in all of the New Testament, certainly past the Gospels, once, once we get past the ministry of Jesus, the most powerful sermon in, in the history of Christianity, responding to the question, are you drunk? And it begins like this, no, we're not drunk, it's only 9 a.m. He proceeds to proclaim the Gospel and 3,000 people are saved. Now keep in mind, they were all gathered together, about 120 of them together, and suddenly there's now over 3,000 believers. And the question might come to our minds, what do you do with that kind of growth? How did they continue as followers of Christ? Now many of the people from, uh, from the, the, the known parts of the world who were there on for the day of Pentecost, would have traveled back home, but some may have stayed. So we, we see that the, the number of believers grew. We, we assume that the number of the believers certainly there in Jerusalem grew. And, and Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 tells us how this growing church went about their daily business. So if you will, stand with me as we read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We're going to read this passage every week during this series. The Word of the Lord says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this passage that we see these first believers in Jerusalem and how they went about their daily lives as followers of Christ. And I pray that even now, 2,000 years later, we would learn from their example. And the First Baptist Church of Alamogordo would continue to become a first century church here in the 21st century. Will you show us how to do that over these next six weeks. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now here's our big idea for the morning. Following Christ, be, being devoted to Christ, always means letting go of something else. Always. You know, we've been, uh, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through experiencing God, and one of the key foundations that, that Henry and Richard Blackaby talk about and experiencing God is you cannot follow God and stay where you are at the same time. Something has to change. 
We have to let go of something. We're going to see what that looks like, specifically in Luke chapter 9. So if you're in Acts, you, you flip back to the left, uh, you'll see the Gospel of John, and then uh, immediately before that is, is the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to see three men who come to Jesus and say they want to follow him. And the response that Jesus gives to them about what it means to follow Jesus and the cost of being devoted to Christ. Luke chapter 9 says this. It says, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have den, have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the good news or spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, in, in this passage, we see three pictures of those who would follow Christ. But who were, as, as far as we can tell from, from, the, from the story here, n- none of them, we're not told explicitly that any of them followed him. We're, we're, not, we're not told like, like the disciples did, that immediately they left and followed him. And so what we imply from that is that these three to a person, walked away from following Jesus. And as I said, following Christ always means letting go of something. So we're going to look this morning at what being devoted to Christ costs and what we have to leave behind if we want to follow after Christ. Here's the first thing. Devotion to Christ means letting go of comfort. We see that in this first man in Luke chapter 9 said, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, this is important. Notice that this man approaches Jesus. Jesus didn't didn't seek him out uh, from from what we can tell from the story. Perhaps he had no doubt heard the the stories of Jesus, knew who he was, and, and he comes to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response to him is, Foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus is almost saying, hey, that's great. You want to follow me? Fantastic. I don't know where we're sleeping tonight. It's not going to be a real comfortable trip for you. See, so so many people, I think, are interested in following Jesus, but we don't count the cost. Don't consider the reality that being a follower of Christ does not mean a life of comfort and ease. In fact, it may mean just the opposite, as it did for the disciples. One of the things we're going to see throughout this series in in Acts chapter 2 
Um, towards the end of it, we're, we're, when we talk about evangelism, we're going to see the expansion of the kingdom of God throughout the book of Acts. And it's explosive. Over, over the course of about 30 years, the number of believers that we see in the book of Acts goes from about 120 to countless thousands. And from a group gathered in one room in the city of Jerusalem to being across the known world at that time. And yet, do you know how it expands? Do do you realize that the first seven chapters of Acts happen exclusively within the city of Jerusalem? Beginning in Acts chapter 8 and following the the believers scatter from Jerusalem and, and take the gospel to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth like, like Jesus told them they would in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But are you aware of the, the catalyst for the gospel spreading throughout the known world? The thing that sparked believers taking to the roads and sharing the gospel was the death of Stephen. Because at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, we're told that a great persecution broke out against the believers. And all except the apostles, all all except those remaining disciples of Jesus, it said, fled Jerusalem. They're, They're running for their lives, literally. And as they do, they're proclaiming the gospel. And that's the thing that makes, that, that causes the gospel to reach, by the end of the book of Acts, 30 years later, the, the ends of the earth. In fact, Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, recounts his ministry. You know, uh, sometimes we think of Paul, we're like, man, he had, he had such a great and powerful ministry. I mean, we see all these letters that he wrote to the churches encouraging them. And we see God doing great works through Paul, and all that's true. But here's, here are some details that, that help us understand how that happened. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. That, that's important because um, in, in that culture, it was believed that 40 lashes would kill a person. So sentencing someone to 40 lashes minus one, the the whole point was to beat them literally within an inch of their life. And Paul said he received that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, Dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. Anybody signing up? Verse 28, and I love this. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. So, so don't miss what he just said, okay? Listen, I've, I've faced all these things for the sake of the gospel and on top of, you know, being beaten and shipwrecked and, and being in danger from those around me, 
I've got to put up with you. This was Paul's ministry. It wasn't smooth sailing. And yet, remember what Paul said at the end of his life as he's writing to Timothy. He said, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. As you read uh, books like 2 Timothy and Titus, as Paul's looking back on his life, you, you don't really see any regret. Instead, you see, you see him saying it was worth it and encouraging young Timothy to remain faithful in the middle of a difficult church. Because devotion to Christ, even if it means giving up comfort, is worth it. Next, we see that devotion to Christ often means letting go of connections. Look at verses 59 and 60 in Luke chapter 9. Then he said to another, this is Jesus speaking to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, now this one might kind of rub us the wrong way at first glance, right? I mean, the man is asking to go bury his father, and Jesus essentially says, nope, you don't, you don't have to worry about that. Now, the, the problem with immediately jumping there is, is a, couple, a couple of things. So first of all, we're not told the father's dead. We're not giving any indication that, that the father's dead. In fact, if, if this was the case, right, Follow me, Jesus, my father just died. Let me go take care of things and I'll follow him. We're not told that. We're not even really told that he's on his sickbed. In fact, the, the phrase there, let me go bury my father, could mean, let, let me go take care of my father. We aren't really told anything about the father. And so, um, let, let me... Let me remind you of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. It says, If anyone comes to me, does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, now Jesus is using hyperbole here, right? So he's not saying you've got to, you know, tell, tell your parents, see ya. We don't get to talk anymore because I'm going to follow Christ. No, that's not what he's saying. What, what he's, again, he's talking about devotion and what we are devoted to. We should be devoted to Christ in such a way that no other human connection holds us back from that. So this man in, in Luke 9, it's possible, very, very likely he feels a, connect, a connection or an obligation to care for his father. Perhaps his father's beginning to get up in age and needs to take care of him. Maybe there's an expectation that, that this son will take care of the family business once the father's gone. It's not bad, but following Christ takes precedence. If I can speculate here just for a second, it's at least possible, we need to at least consider the fact that, that this father was wealthy, and this young man wants to wait for his father to die so he can receive the inheritance. Again, maybe not a bad motivation. Maybe it wasn't quite as, Dad, if you would just kick the bucket soon, that would be great. Now, maybe it's probably not quite that 
not quite that harsh, but, but more along the lines of this young man thinking, look, once I get the inheritance, then I can give my life to follow Jesus. Once, once I know my needs are taken care of, then I can, then I can follow. So, so just let me go, let, let, me, let me take care of my father, and once, once he's gone, once, once, that's, once I've buried him, then, Jesus, I'll come follow you. But see, here's the thing. If we're waiting around for the opportune moment, it may never come. And this leads us to the last part of this passage. Devotion to Christ means letting go of charades. means letting go of excuses, letting go of all pretense. Look at me at verses 61 and 62. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Verse 61, so telling, I will follow you, Lord, but first. In this man's case, he wanted to go say goodbye to his family. Again, that doesn't seem like an unreasonable request, but we don't know the motivation behind it. Maybe he's looking for a goodbye party. Keep in mind that the Jewish weddings in those days, uh, would, the, the party would last for about a week. So maybe this young man is thinking, hey, you know what, if I go back and and tell my family goodbye, there's going to be this elaborate send-off. And boy, they are just going to dote on me and tell me how much they're going to miss me and how much they love me. It'll be great. I think a lot of us, if we're honest, are like like this guy. Lord, I want to follow you but first. But first, let me graduate. Well, when, when you know, this, this, this time right now is kind of mine, but when I get married, then, then we'll get involved in a church. You, you know, Lord, um, right, right now, you know, thing, things are so tight, but, but when, we, when we start making more money, then we'll, then we'll give faithfully. Then we'll be We'll be more active in church. I'll start serving in that ministry after our kids are out of the house. Here's one I've heard. And now, now not, not, let me clarify. <laughs> not just in the last five years, okay? I've been in full-time ministry for about 15, and I've heard this constantly for 15 years. Pastor, we've just been so busy. We'll be back when things settle down. Listen, folks, the the truth is that we give our immediate attention to the things that are most important to us. Jesus called this man to immediate devotion. And in calls all three of these men to immediate devotion. But in each case, there was something that was more pressing for their time. 
to this last man, Jesus responds, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now again, this may seem harsh, but what's happening is Jesus is exposing the true affections of his heart. So as I said, the the conclusion that we draw based on these three examples that we see in Luke chapter 9 is that none of them followed Jesus. The the reason I say that, because in in the case of the disciples, we, we were told explicitly they left their nets, and in the case of James and John and their father, and followed him. And that sentence is lacking here. And so what we understand from this text is that none of these three followed after Jesus, even those two who approached him. The cost was too high. Now the disciples and the members of the first church in the book of Acts were devoted to Christ. They, they gave their lives, many of them quite literally, to worship and serve Him. And even now in the year 2020, the call on our lives is no less serious. In fact, it could be that given the state of the world around us, we are in desperate need of men and women who will be completely devoted followers of Christ. So the question for you this morning is simply this. How will you respond to His call? Follow me. Earlier in Luke chapter 9, Jesus looked at His disciples and said this. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What are you devoted to? What things in your life are holding you back from being completely, wholeheartedly, unequivocally, no strings attached, devoted to Jesus. I'm going to close this in prayer and then as we sing a song of invitation, the altar will be open. Maybe you need to come and just lay some things before the Lord. Maybe there are some things in your own life that, are, that you recognize you're devoted to that are, that are keeping you from being devoted to Christ and Reminds you of our big idea for the morning. Following Christ always, always means letting go of something else. What do you need to let go of this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this wonderful passage in Acts chapter 2 and, and how we see the disciples devoting themselves to you. I thank you for the sobering reminder this morning in Acts chapter 9 of where we see the cost of what it means to follow after Christ Jesus. I pray you would expose some things in our hearts this morning where we might be more like these three individuals than we would care to admit. 
or we have other things that are holding us back. I pray we would surrender them. Lay them at the foot of the cross. So that we might be devoted to you. I pray for the next few weeks as we see what that looks like in the lives of the early believers in Acts and what that would look like in our own lives today. That you would shape us and mold us into individuals, into a church body that's completely devoted to King Jesus. We ask all these things in his mighty name. Amen.